Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If, y- if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, like this series, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We have over 300 episodes of this podcast for you to enjoy. It's astounding. It's an astounding number of episodes. We haven't locked it away in a vault. We haven't, like, put it up for some pay service, although we probably should and are leaving a lot of money on the table. No, honestly, Sammy, I think that it's okay that your child will have to work through every year of university. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need to be putting that nest egg away. (laughs) I, of course, have no heirs, so it doesn't matter to me. (laughs) He might not have any heirs, but he does have his name on a bajillion websites and publications. Ben, tell the listeners where they can find your latest work. Sure, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, at Haggerty, and at Car Driver. Wow, you've been busy lately. Sometimes I do actually get some stuff done. (laughs) Sometimes, when you're not panicking about everything. Oh, man. Uh, you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, Car and Driver, and let's go with Electric Autonomy Canada. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week. Some pretty exciting ones, if you ask me. We do have some cars to talk about. Before we talk about the cars, though, I want to bring up something um, kind of funny that I found out from uh, one of our longtime listeners, Tobias. Uh, out in mm-hmm. Nor- out, he, he lives out in Norway, and he I, I had posted a picture on my Instagram of the TRD button on a vehicle that I'm driving, and he told me that TRD is the airport code for, like, the closest airport to him, and uh, he finds it very funny that Toyota chose to name its performance division after a Norwegian airport code, so... All this to say, you know, there's been a lot of renamings lately. We have Twitter that's named X, and then we find out that X is actually a copyright from a whole bunch of other companies. Maybe Toyota <laughs> should have looked a little harder before renaming, uh, before naming TRD back in, I guess, 1977. <laughs> I yeah, that's a definitely. long time. That's a long time to be wrong. It's just which is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I think Toyota's Toyota's not used to being wrong. I think that's their problem. I, I mean, they're not used to being called out on it. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> acknowledging the fact that they're wrong. Uh, but yeah, so I, Sammy, I drove a car this week that, and this is this doesn't happen very often, but it's a car that I, I approached with some trepidation, a, a car that I had some wrong ideas about and wasn't sure if I would enjoy. And it turns out that the experience of actually driving it instead of, you know, just reading spec sheets and stats and all sorts of stuff was radically different than what I had imagined. Okay, this sounds like, you know, the the when when somebody drives their first like Porsche Macan or Cayenne or something and we're like, "Oh, wait, you know, you I I used to be a hater of like uh performance SUV or performance brands making SUVs like I've changed my mind now. Well, I mean, as long as you didn't drive that like first generation V6 version of the Cayenne with the with the manual transmission. Oh, come uh, on. It's to not this, that bad. To this day, I think the worst manual transmission implementation I've driven in a modern vehicle simply because of the shifter position. Um I the Cayenne is a great vehicle. I just don't think it was intended to have a manual gearbox. I don't I don't think it it's really that type of of truck and it was so odd like the shifts were so long and just awkwardly placed and 
It was an unusual experience. I'm glad I had it because I don't think I've ever seen one ever again. I think yeah, you've, might be you've the... scoured the internet for one. You want to relive that memory. That's the only one I think I've ever seen. So. <laughs> I can remember my worst manual transmission I've ever tested. It was the Scion IM, I think it was called, or the Corolla IM, something like that. I remember that. And it that just theory. had the wi- the wimpiest clutch and, and, uh, and stick feel I've ever had. So like just Did that become the Corolla hatchback? Yeah. Okay, so the Corolla hatchback had a pretty good manual transmission. A really good one. So, like, what happened? (laughs) I don't know. I know know exactly how you feel. But I remember just it felt like it had absolutely zero feedback on the clutch of all things. And then the the gear selector was absolutely – I mean, the gear stick was absolutely the vaguest thing I've ever wobbled around. I just could not stand it. Speaking of wobbling around, uh, I I recently got my Cadillac back. Uh, So – I have a, for those who are maybe listening for the first time, I have a 2004 Cadillac CTSV, and I rarely get to drive it because... A car uh, that you mentioned maybe twice a year on the podcast? I don't, I don't know. Is that a lot? Is that no. A, so I don't get to drive it as often as I would like because, you know, all the stuff that Sammy and I have to drive for work, plus my parking situation here in Montreal doesn't accommodate too many cars, and I already have a few vehicles in the garage in the parking spot. So I have it stored at, like, an off-site location, and I honestly, maybe like two or three times a year, get to drive it, which really sucks because I love it. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because last August, which is the last time I drove it any significant length, I went on a road trip with it and I lost my air conditioning while I was driving. And I thought it was just a charge issue because it had the compressor replaced a couple of years beforehand. And I thought, you know, okay, maybe there was a leak in one of the, the fittings on the hose or something like that. So uh, winter was coming. I didn't really have time to deal with it. And then over the winter, I was told that there was starting to leak transmission fluid. So I'm like, okay, that's not great. I need to get this looked at. And I took it to the um, air conditioning shop that put the AC system or charged the AC system that's in my Jeep. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, while it's here, would you mind maybe just putting it up on the lift and seeing what's going on um, underneath? Like, I know I have an O2 sensor that needs to be replaced. I'm getting a code. But also, like... check it out just give me a general once over it turns out a diagnosis yeah it turns out that my motor mounts had had disintegrated to the point where the starter was impacting the subframe and the belt for the compressor or the air conditioner was hitting the lower rad hose and it had actually thrown the belt and that's why my ac wasn't working and i couldn't see this because on the ls6 engine the compressor is it's a separate belt that's off of the serpentine belt on its own pulley Mm -hmm. and it's way down on the bottom left of the motor like to replace the compressor you have to take out the um the radiator that's how tight it is so looking down on the top of the motor it's it's hard to see that it's off on the bottom which is where it had had been thrown yeah so i had to replace the and this is the third or fourth time i've had to replace engine mounts on this car because the cadillac stock mounts were like rubber and then they were liquid filled to absorb vibration and they would they're so close to the um to the header on the motor that they get really hot they crack all the liquid comes out and then they suck like they just crazy movement so i put in a couple of polyurethane mounts and i tore those because the car used to go on the racetrack and I put in a second set of poly mounts and those just disintegrated with time and heat. So this time I put in a set from a company called Creative Steel and they're rebuildable. rebuildable. So there's like, you know how most engine mounts, it's like a piece of poly or a piece of rubber with a, a mm-hmm. metal um, screw through it, like a, that you screw in the top and you screw it like to the motor and then you screw it to the, the frame. So this actually has like a metal sandwich with the bushing in the middle and you can replace the bushing instead of replacing the whole thing, which is kind of cool. Um, but my, my transmission mount was also the same. 
It was also in bad shape and I had a bad um, differential bearing. So all of this was like the engine was would shake a lot uh, when it was accelerating or when I turned it off. There was a lot of movement from the transmission in the rear end. So I just got it back this week because uh, okay. I don't. I don't have the space in my driveway and I don't have a lift to, to do all that. kind. It's so much easier to do engine mounts with a lift. Like it's, it's, it's way simpler. You just drop the exhaust and get it done. Anyway, so it's incredible how different the car feels. <laughs> like the accelerate, like I was talking to a friend of the show, uh, Brad Iger, and I was saying it feels like the car has more torque now because when you push the accelerator, instead of the engine twisting and then like delivering power, you get immediate power delivery. And it doesn't feel like it's going to shake itself apart. So you can get used to anything over a long enough period of time. And <laughs> I think that's very true of motor mounts. So anyone out there who has maybe motor mounts that are starting to go, replace them. You will thank yourself for how good your car feels after. It's not expensive. Mine are expensive because I'm paying the CTSV tax. But for the most part, it's a pretty affordable modification. Um, okay. That's a pretty big update. I loved your CTSV. Um, I think you visited me one time. Um, and I could hear it from like, uh, like a mile away. Yeah. You hated it when I revved it in the garage. I remember I did hate it when you revved it in the garage. Cause I think it set off like some car alarms or something like that. It's just a set of Magnaflows on it too. Like it's nothing crazy, but nothing, nothing wild, right? It's a fun car. I I should put an X pipe on it. (laughs) That that was your, that's your, that's what you come away with when I say it was too loud. No, well, it's because I was thinking, I saw the exhaust. (laughs) I I, I went and visited it with the exhaust down and I'm like, you know what? This needs, I need some pressure, pressure equalization here. This, This needs to happen. Okay, cool. But what are we talking about this week? Doesn't this this car's week, this week's car have some, uh, it gets some attention, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different letter of the alphabet. It's an M letter instead of a V letter. Uh, It is the 2023 BMW M2. Uh, And the M2 is, when it was first announced, I guess it was last October. I'm not sure exactly. We got the the M240i last year, right? Mm -hmm. And it was somewhat controversial even in M240i form, because of how it looks. Uh, The car was not as sinuous, I guess, not as um, muscular as it used to be. It's kind of blocky now. It's got got a little chunky look to it, especially up front. Um, People were happy because it didn't have the giant grill on the M3 and the M4, but it was like a different kind of giant grill. (laughs) And I think there was, it was just a, BMW wasn't, I don't know. Their styling is really polarizing these days. I think the car looked fine, um, but when the M2 came out, it kind of exaggerated all that blockiness. You know, got like more fender flares and bigger ventilation up front for the various coolers that are nestled in behind those grills. And uh, the other aspect of the car that was somewhat controversial, it's bigger, Sammy. Like it's, yeah. oof, uh, and it's not, it's not a insubstantial amount of growth either. It's like four inches longer almost an inch and a half wider and it's just a bit lower than, than the car it used to be. Um, That's intense, man. Like this is a, this is a different, um, to me, M2 and two series, they went under, they underwent a, a serious change. Like uh, I think they, they really, they used to be a much smaller product, um, a little bit more performance oriented than the rest of the BMW. It, to me, it felt like old school BMW, and then they kind of modernized it. And I don't know if the usual BMW fan will will appreciate well, that that change. Right. What comes with this size increase is a weight increase, um, depending yeah. on which model you compare it to. Because there was the the CS, the competition, and then the base M2 in the previous generation. It's between two and three hundred pounds heavier. 
and that puts its weight right around 3,800 pounds. If you order it with the eight-speed automatic transmission, and it's an automatic too, it's not a DCT, that's gone mm-hmm. from the M world now. Um, but if you order it with that transmission, it's actually over 3,800 pounds. That also puts it within like, I think 100 pounds of the M4, which is a larger vehicle that has almost fully transitioned into the grand touring space, right? So mm-hmm. all of that on paper, bigger M2, wider M2, heavier M2, it seems to suggest that this car won't have that same kind of old school driving feel that you mentioned. And I I will point out, when we say old school, like it's a flavor of old school, right? Don't expect like an E30 M3 out of any M car these days or any any yeah. recent M car. This the weight. But that was always the closest. Like that's to me is like it was always the closest. Yeah. So I I really thought, okay, they've kind of messed up. They've kind of made a car that has grown to the point where it's squeezed out all the cool stuff about it that made it different from the M4. I'm not a big M4 fan. I feel like the M4 is almost like a big muscle car now. Okay. Um, it, especially since the M3 and the M4, you can have them with all-wheel drive, which kind of further puts a layer between you and the driving experience. So you get tons of power and they handle very well because they have a lot of mechanical grip. But in terms of communicating to the driver what's actually going on below those tires, you don't. there's not a lot of that happening. So I was really worried the M2 would be like that. And I'm totally happy to report that that is not true whatsoever. No, you're... Really? This is the most fun M car. It is still the most fun M car. There is no all-wheel drive. My car had a six-speed manual transmission, limited slip rear differential. uh, And even with the extra weight, it is a blast. I mean, I didn't get a chance to go super hardcore with it. I didn't put it on a racetrack. But in almost every driving situation, the car feels like it wants to have fun. Uh, Turn-in for the corners is instant um the balance of the car is fantastic the the m2 remains a very neutral car like this isn't a car that has a drift mode programmed into it or if it does i couldn't find it um (laughs) it's it's just a car that is like okay you know if you want to mess around with the throttle and steer that way you can but if you don't then you're going to be you know rewarded with a predictable cornering experience uh and everything about it felt very honest um it's just a really good time. And what's interesting is it's priced at like sixty-three dollars or $62,000. And you and I were talking this week. There was a revelation. The reveal of the new Nissan Z Nismo model came out, right? Right, yeah. And the, the Nismo doesn't have any extra power. It's like something like 20 or 30 horsepower more. So it's like 420 horsepower. And it has an automatic only, like a nine speed. And we don't have pricing for it yet, but I think the top price on the current Z is like 50 grand. So you got to expect maybe it's going to be priced. It's going to be close to 60. Yeah. I'm looking at that car and I'm looking at the M2 and I'm wondering how it's even close to a decision. And this is also, I think, applies to the Toyota. You're jumping the gun. You're jumping the gun. You got to tell me a little bit more about how this car feels. But I want to finish that thought, Sammy, because I think. That also applies to the Toyota Supra. I feel yeah. like the M2 is Which is maybe, similar hardware to the to I maybe M2 or at least... It's a different the, platform. It's a different right. platform. But um, okay. the, the engines are somewhat similar. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just think that this car is perhaps the best sports car at its price point. That's... that's I'm, I'm telling you, I think you're jumping the gun. You need to tell me... You told me it, it feels like it's it's energetic, it's eager, it wants to ha- it wants to play, which is actually a very commendable uh, like personality to, to inject into a, a car, let alone any 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 kind of like 
hardware, right? Yeah, it's um, and it's harder, harder and harder to do on the the modern automotive market where so safety much safety oriented and driver assists and everything yeah, is like measured. Is really, the driver assist is really a big part of it because so much of the experience that we're getting now is like it's like a curated speed experience that's delineated by ones and zeros, right? It's it's programmed into the car by software. And sure. the, the M2 doesn't have that feel. Uh, you can There's two M buttons that you can obviously program on the steering wheel. You can select the stiffness of the suspension. You can select the, the I guess, throttle response. Um, you can dis, you can back off or back on the um, various electronic nannies. And you can get a louder exhaust. But it, it's not, it doesn't really feel like some of the other M cars where there was like a, an unlimited level of choices that you can make. And it was really confusing as to okay. what you were building out of the software. There. It's like, like fun mode, funner mode, and like just regular yeah, driving. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, like some video games when you have to build a character, like at the beginning, yeah. you have to choose all this stuff. Like the M2 keeps that to the minimum. But okay. With, but without all-wheel drive, which is available on the M3 and the M4 now, you you you're even further away from that because you're even further away from how torque is being managed for you without you managing it with your throttle uh and it just feels as though the car is designed to be driven rather than experienced and make no mistake it's still very fast like part of getting rid of part of making the weight disappear in the minds of the driver it's 453 horsepower and 406 pound feet of torque that's the same amount of torque as the m3 and the m4 it's the same engine but it's detuned a little bit i think it's like 20 horsepower less so this car is faster than any of the previous models we already established that i sorry i don't think we established that even though it's heavier if yeah. in, in automatic form, it's faster than all of them. And in manual form, it's very, very close. It's like four seconds, zero to 60, which is pretty wild for a $63,000 yeah. car. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. Um, and then the other element, of course, you said um, design-wise, it looks a little bit bigger. It, the the M2 and the and the 1M before it were very like uh, – the, the proportions were kind of like – they were they – were, they were strange proportions. I think it's the best way to describe it. I think maybe BMW sorted out their proportions with the with this latest generation two series. But of course, we've got to deal with the big grill um, and, and you know a different look to the headlights. I think they put some round elements into the into the headlights to make it um, seem like one of the older um, like a two thousand and two or something like that, an older uh, BMW. Do you see any of that? No, I think that you know this this grill is really quite modest. I think it's okay. I think this is the least extroverted B- M- BMW modern M car. BMW? No, yeah. not modern BMW, but definitely BMW M car. Okay. It, that being said, it's not a pretty car, but I think it's visually striking. And I got so much attention in this car. I was painted like that bright blue color that so many like a robin's in. egg. It looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's a really nice color. Uh, I think that. I don't need all sports cars to be pretty. I think there's something to be said for striking and attention grabbing. And that's, you know, if you if you don't want to grab attention, buy one in silver or whatever. But it's sure. nice that this this option exists. And I think the paint looks really good on this car. And I know I was harsh um, on the 3 Series that I drove a couple of weeks ago or, or more harsh than I'm being now. I kind of feel like the, the M, like it felt like part of the 3 Series was a cost cutting measure, especially inside. And there's some of that inside the m2 as well like it has the same type of cockpit feel where you have the instead of a binnacle for the gauges you just have like one screen that goes across the dashboard i'm not a Mm -hmm. fan of that but the inside doesn't feel as cost cutting as the three series did in general it's also a little bit bigger than the um 
than the previous generation M2. Uh, it, it, especially if you sit up front, the rear seats are actually smaller <laughs> with with a larger cabin. It has a, a extra wheelbase and all of that is pretty much going for the driver and the front passenger, which is how it should be in a coupe of this size. I mean, let's not pretend you're putting anyone back there. Um, yeah. I picked up my partner at the airport and we were able to fit all of her luggage, which was considerable. She was coming back from South America uh, in, into the trunk of the car. Uh, with mm-hmm. only one bag going in the back seat. So it's still useful. And I think that, you know, earlier when I was saying the best sports car at its price point, part of that is because this is a car that's comfortable enough to drive every day without any yep. real sacrifices. And yet it's still a lot of fun when you want it to be fun. And I feel like that's hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the compromises, look, not every car, well, I think more and more automakers are trying to make cars that can do a little bit of every, a little bit of everything. And I think that results in cars that can do not enough of what you really want them to do. Um, and so it's, I still think there's something to be said about vehicles that are, that deliver the purposes that they were built for. And in this case, a car that's fun to drive um, and, you know, put the other demands on the, on the back bench. And it seems like when you do that, you're going to be more satisfied, I think. And I really wish BMW would do this with the three and the four. I guess I understand why they don't. I think that customer has probably evolved and the old M3 customer is now the new M2 customer. Okay. As long as there's one option like this out there, that's great. Uh, BMW has said they're moving away. You know how I said there's no more DCTs? They've also in the same breath mentioned that manual gearboxes are going to be gone in the next few years. So um, I think right now the only manuals you can get are in the M3, M4, and M2. And uh, if you want this kind of car, you got to get it now because there's no guarantee it's going to be here three years from now. Uh, okay. this, I, I think we've, I, you know, stuff like the competition model of this, is it going to have a, a manual transmission anymore? Probably not. You know, I don't remember if the last one had one or not. I can't, I know that some of the competition models are automatic only at this point. So it's, we're, we're at the point where, the, you know, changing of the guard, um, you owe it to yourself to drive this car if you're looking to spend about 60 grand. I mean, obviously, 60 grand doesn't get you all the options. There's like an M driver's package and a carbon package and all this stuff. I didn't have a heavily optioned car, and I was still happy with it. Okay. It, 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 if you're looking to spend around 60 grand, you have to drive this car if you want a sports car. This is definitely something that is worth your attention. You don't want to pass it up. Um, so this has jumped up the list for you, like in yeah. terms of two doors. Well, I mean, what, what else, else is out there at this there? price like, point? Like, what, what would you be I driving? Came, I think Caymans or, or Boxsters are... I, I, they're way more expensive. They're way more expensive? I think so, yeah. Entry-level models? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can get a $60 Cayman. I, a $60,000 Cayman. I can check. What happened to that? I mean, Porsche... The base 911 is hundred grand, so it's not, you know... So bring the other ones down. No, that's not how it works. Are they really too expensive? <laughs> I'm checking right now, but... Um, You're crazy. I think that's too expensive. 68 it's okay. the entry level price of so, a yeah. now. And that has 140 horsepower less than the M2. Yeah. <laughs> and it's slower by nearly a full second. So yeah. I like the Cayman. Uh, but that's a turbo turbo four, right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's it's a different experience. And let's say to me. I used to remember these things being 60 grand, and I was like, ah, that's my car, man. I, I'm gonna look at the, the Cayman S and see what the price is there. No, so don't do that. The I'm Cayman looking at S it. Is, You're gonna laugh at me for even suggesting it's eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. They they did something. And it's still not as fast in a straight line <laughs> because it only has it still has like a hundred less horsepower. Yeah. So Okay. Again, so I, I, I 
to me those are the to me though that is the the mid the mid tier sort of pre supercar kind of cars to me. So the GTS came in is as close as you can get um, before you get Straight to line. like GT4. Yeah. yeah, so that's 4.3 seconds, which is very, very close to the the uh, M2. and mm-hmm. But it's still underpowered. It's 394 horsepower. I, I'm assuming it weighs less. Uh, I'm assuming it probably weighs 400 pounds less, which would be nice. But yeah, it's, it's you know, $30,000 more. So that's that's quite a price differential. So, yeah. you know, but I, what I do want to check and see, is it still possible to buy a Corvette for $60,000? I doubt it. They... They got that name. They got that price point uh, as sort of the the headline grabber. So it, apparently, right now, a base twenty twenty three Stingray is sixty four thousand, including uh, MS, including delivery and whatnot. And that's nearly five hundred horsepower. Oh no, that doesn't no, include not, delivery. That's not five hundred horsepower. Yeah, it is five hundred. It's four hundred ninety five horsepower. It's it's way faster than the M two, but very different day to day experience. Um, and you know, it's a little bit more expensive. Uh, not maybe not as nice inside, um, and also no manual transmission. So these are all things. Yeah, that's have a different. Take, ex- that's a different experience altogether. Yeah, yeah, you have to take take that into account. But I don't know if you're a Corvette buyer. If you're a Corvette shopper, definitely drive the M2. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, a, I, it feels like it, it would be a downgrade, but I guess it isn't. And the 2024 model of the Corvette's even more expensive. It's like 66, so it's like a two thousand dollar price difference. I don't know yeah. if you're getting extra gear with it. I don't know if they're adding more stuff. You're getting resale value. There's <laughs> something called the convertible engine appearance package. Uh, I don't know what that means. Finally, that's what I've been really looking for. It doesn't explain what it is either. With window under tonneau and engine cover. So maybe you can, it's like, remember, you you know, Ferraris with the engines under glass, but uh, maybe something like that. Anyway. Yeah. Just wrap it up. M2 is really good. I didn't think it would be. I thought it would be good, but not like this. I thought it would be good in a fast way. This is good in an all around way. This is an impressive car. I didn't want to give it back. Very rare that I feel that way about a car these days. Uh, I wish I'd had the chance to drive it more than I did. I wish I'd had a, I'd gone on a long road trip the week before and I wish it had been this week and I wish it had been in this vehicle because it just would have been fun. That That's fair. I think that makes sense. I, I mean, especially from what I hear, your experience in that car that you are going on a long, on a long road trip is not, is not what you're looking for. Um, but if you have anything, if you don't have anything else you want to talk about with the M2, that I'm going to take over. Is that okay? Wraps it up. That wraps it up? Yeah. Nothing else? No, I feel good about it. What was the best comment somebody gave you? Oh, I, I don't I don't ever let people speak to me. I, I get out of there as fast <laughs> as I can. And thank goodness the, the M2 enables that. that exactly. That it's probably why I like it so line. much. You think it's not going to come with an all-wheel drive model? You're crazy for that. I didn't say that. I said it doesn't now. It doesn't now? Will it? I think it will. I don't see why they would do that. Just to make a baby M3. <laughs> okay. My turn. Let me talk about the car I drove, which is not as new, but still somewhat interesting. In fact, when I told you what I'm going to be talking about this week, you said, oh, interesting. Wait, never mind. Like that? (laughs) Or or actually, maybe not. So the car I drove with the 2023 Ford Maverick, um, but the model I had in particular was the off-road oriented or more off-road oriented version of it called the Tremor. Okay. So now Ford has Tremor models for all of its pickup trucks: the yes. Ranger, the Ra- the Ranger, the F one fifty, and I think the two fifty as well. And those are all those. Yeah, it actually started with the two fifty, and those are all body on frame trucks. But this is a unibody pickup truck. So yeah, I want to ask, like, what kind of quote unquote hardcore stuff comes with the Tremor? Well, no one said anything hardcore here. We're not good. We shouldn't get. 
Don't get because too they are, excited. They here. already had an FX4 version of the truck, right? Yes, they already had the FX4 version of okay. the truck. Um, here's what it does, okay? You might immediately assume that this is an appearance package because, you know, the first thing you'll notice when you look at a Tremor package-equipped Maverick is that it says Tremor on the side of the bed, but there's more to it than that, okay? There's uh, dark 17-inch wheels with one of the spokes making a little orange pocket so that you can find the valve stem. Wait, little orange pocket? Yeah, so, like, the, the a couple of the spokes, like, uh, make a little, like, rhombus. Okay. They're orange, and uh, that's where the valve stem is. Rhombus. I think that's the first time we've used that word on this podcast. I don't think so. I think we've done it before. I slip it in almost at every uh, outro, every time we close. All right, rhombus. Got it. Um, there's also um, smoked headlights, taillights. There's orange body accents. There's a tow hook on the, uh, on the uh, bumper. There's also all-terrain tires um, and an inch lift. Okay. So that puts that puts the inch at a, that puts the ground clearance at nine point four inches, um, which is pretty good. All right. Yeah. I not, mean, that's not like, amazing. It's like but half it's pretty a foot. good. That's like nine. You said nine point what? Nine point four inches. That's, just about, <laughs> that's point one inches less than a Forester wilderness. Wilderness. Yeah. While we're, while we're talking wildness, we got it. We would be um, amiss to not mention that. It's a little bit more than the Bronco Sport Badlands, in case you were wondering which Ford um, Cute Ute sort of does the does the off roading thing a little bit better. But the, of course, the natural the natural worry when you're when you're off roading a pickup truck is that um, the wheelbase is kind of long, and that makes certain um, um, like the the breaker heights or the ground clearance the approach angles to be a little narrow. So. I don't think that this is the most off-road oriented truck you can get. It's not going to replace sort of like a Gladiator um, or a, a bigger truck, but it's going to probably get you in and around some campsites and some um, trickier trails like that. Okay, but you could already get to campsites with the FX4. So what do you think this brings to the table that is definitely the killer app that would make people spend more money on it? Um, there's nothing super, super special other than some of the technology that's added to the drivetrain. So in particular, you get, um, a number of little, um, what is it here? We get like selectable drive modes, which includes this, uh, mud or, mud and ruts, rock crawl and sand. And there's a trail control feature, like, um, what do they call it? Hill descent control, but a little bit, I don't think it's only for hill descent control. It's for like hill level control um and it's kind of like off-road cruise control so you can it just adjusts them on the accelerator and brakes to maintain a, a set speed and uh my other question would be do you feel like you could trust this vehicle not to break or be severely damaged when off-roading given that it's you know got the unibody construction um i know there's lots of good unibody four by fours out there in the past like you know the jeep xj is a perfect example mm -hmm. but this doesn't necessarily – the thing I like about the Maverick is that it doesn't try to be what a traditional truck is in terms of like hardcoreness, yeah. uh, whether that's towing or weight or size. And it's a little strange to see a Tremor model. Like I almost wonder if – you know, wouldn't someone be better off buying the Ranger Tremor if they wanted a small truck that could go off-road? I think it all depends on what their usability – their use cases are when they're not going off-road. Uh, and I think the Maverick is a really good general use vehicle 
when you're not using it for truck stuff. And it's got all of the additional uh, benefits of having a bed um, as well. But I, in my opinion, this kind of vehicle, like you'd be better off maybe getting something a little bit more compact in terms of wheelbase, like I said. I think the Bronco Sport might be able to be um, a little bit more off-road oriented. Like we mentioned, the the Forested Wilderness or the Crosstrek, I can't remember what they call it, Outdoor. Um, well, there's a all, Wilderness Crosstrek now too. Is it called the Wilderness? Yeah. Um, something like that. Or you go all the way up to a body on frame, like sort of um, Wrangler or Bronco, something like that. But um, there is, like, I mean, you you asked if I'd be confident in its ability to go off-road. I think people are overestimating the trails sometimes. <laughs> I think you've done a pretty gnarly trail in your in your neighborhood, and in and you didn't. You came away with some with some worries. Yeah, and that was in a Ranger Tremor. That was in a Ranger Tremor, which is why so, you know it's kind of I fueling my the, questions here. That's the one to me. That's the kind of trail that's a bit over the top. Um, but I think most people, 99% of the, ch- the time are not taking it to that hardcore of a, of a, of an area that was pretty remote. I mean, but um, if you're not going to that hardcore, of an, if you're not going to that hardcore of an area, why do you need a tremor package? Right? Like it's like a circular yeah. argument. It's like, yeah. I don't do hardcore off-roading, so, so I, I don't it. need to buy tremor, but if I don't buy tremor, I can't do hardcore off-roading, you know? No, like, I think it's, it's more along the lines of if I don't do hardcore off-roading, I don't need a Ranger tremor. So I should get the Maverick Tremor. But then you're like, how far, how far can I go with the Maverick Tremor? And if I, if I, if there's a situation where I can't, can't. if I don't do hardcore off-roading, someone else is going to do it in my place. (laughs) You know what they say about about off-road packages? Is it just lets you get stuck farther away from home? That's right. That is true. You know, Um, it does have a skid plate, a steel skid plate. So I mean, I'm I'm a little bit more. I'm a little bit more confident in its ruggedness to t- to hit take some take some some hits on the on the trail, but um, overall, I, I just do think it's trying to give more options for shoppers um, who dig the Maverick and just want less, you know, like cute you formats. So I think it, it the all-terrain tires help with with certain grip and gravel and sand and mud in mud. Um, those extra drive modes is also, um, interesting. This has got the, the two liter turbo. I have yet to drive one of the hybrids, but I've heard really good things about those. Um, but of course this isn't available on the, on the hybrid model because you can't get all wheel drive with the hybrid model. Yeah. Which is, I think an extremely frustrating thing for Canadian market. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's hard. Like, this is this is a part of the world where marketing has successfully convinced everyone that if they don't have all-wheel drive in the winter, they will straight up die as soon as they turn the key. Like yeah. is, you know, yeah. no chance. Yeah. Just stay at home. There's, yeah. there's no hope for survival. Which is not true, as you and I have both taken our sports cars out in the in the snow, I think. Yeah. Like my CTSV that I was just talking about. <laughs> I used to daily that in the winter for a couple of years on Blizzax, and it like never yeah. got stuck. It was, it never. was completely fine. So. Um, but you know, I, I think that, um, the Maverick is a popular truck. I mean, as far as you and I know, it's very difficult to get one, um, new, right? Like there's, there's a long waiting list. I think the 2023 models are sold out. They're now on 2024. Um, and they're, they're good trucks. They're really, they're honest vehicles that are cheap and, but don't feel particularly, um, flimsy. And they can do a lot of things that um, that the occasional truck driver would want to do. 
So I think their their compromise is pretty nice. I used it for for hauling stuff around, um, like some couches and some patio furniture. Really good for that, and some garbage as well. So I was happy that you know I didn't have to carry that inside of a. Um, a, a, an SUV. You're always so excited to haul garbage. I, mean, I love Sometimes you just call me up. You're like, I guess what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah. and I'm like hauling garbage. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> but you do the same thing when you're, when you're, when you're doing the tires. Yes. But tires aren't garbage. Sammy. Do you see how these things are different? <laughs> but they smell just as much. Yeah. But, okay. 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 Look, if you walked yeah. into a pie factory, you would be like, wow, that's a lot of pie smell. That's a huge amount of pie smell. It's as yeah. much pie smell as my garbage smell. But you could understand why one of those smells is good and one of those smells is less good, right? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I'm glad we had um, that talk. I've been the, meaning to have it with you for so I know, long. I know. <laughs> one of the most the, one of the most significant issues that I have with the um, Tremor package in particular is the towing capability. Unlike other versions of the all-wheel drive Maverick, which can tow 4,000 pounds when you equip them with the the 4K tow package, the Tremor doesn't make that package available on the – Ford doesn't make that package available on the Tremor, and it's only limited to 2,000 pounds, half of the max tow capacity. I'm assuming it's something to do with suspension. Um, I guess so, but you can – yeah, I guess so, but – Boo. You know, maybe or, there's like okay. that's up, a big boo suspension link up, link up points that don't work with the with the different suspension, or maybe you know you put the skid plates in and you can't connect the subframe connectors for whatever the trailer hitch is connected to. I don't know, man. Some kind and of then, weird like Jenga is going on under that truck. And then additionally, the the EPA rates the Tremor at 21 miles per gallon combined, which is significantly less than the other all-wheel drive. Like, it's 3 mpg less than the, the normal all-wheel drive models. So, like, ride height and gearing, I guess? Yeah, and the tires probably. Yeah. Um, I didn't experience that bad. I got closer to 25, and but I did a lot of um, 24 and a half. So, I, maybe it, it has a lot to do with how you drive the vehicle. But... Um, I've heard from other from other um, owners that these things can be pretty thirsty uh, on on fuel as well. So well, you got to be the EcoBoost engines are not. I mean, it's not like they don't have a reputation for being thirsty. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Pricing wise, you can get one for about thirty one thousand. Um, so they half also, an M two. <laughs> yes, that's how would we you do take things. Two tremors or one M two. I would probably take one M two. Okay. Okay. Are you happy with that? I, I have neither happiness nor unhappiness inside of me, Sammy. Are you going to weigh in on this? I am an empty vessel. Are you going to weigh in on that? No, not at all. Oh. Pass on that That's portion. not fair. You pass. <laughs> okay. You'll be, you'll be more careful next time. Um, I also admit that uh, I didn't uh, – I remember not uh, pushing this motor very hard the last time I drove it. But this thing actually – when you get at the higher rev range, it sounds pretty good. And uh, that's as far as I'm willing to say about uh, the performance of the the Maverick. It's not, you know, a super exciting or faster, engaging vehicle to drive. Was it a $31,000 interior? Mm, yes and no. There's a lot of plastic in the in the interior, but it doesn't feel. First of all, it 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 didn't rattle. Um, even when I I was going sort of like soft roading on some gravel roads, um, and it looks pretty attractive. They've done some pretty good style. Um, They've done some pretty good design in it to incorporate the, the the plastics into design of the vehicle, so it doesn't look or feel flimsy or cheap or or sad. And I really appreciate that about uh, about the interior of the Maverick. Now you remember that um, 
Ford was really all in on this 3D printing accessories for the Mac yeah. when it first came out. And yeah. then that totally stopped happening, right? Yeah, I like, haven't seen or heard much about that so since then. I was going to ask whether you 3D printed anything during your week with the Maverick. No, my 3D printer is uh, is is out of commission. I don't have it uh, with me. It's on loan to um, an animation studio, I guess. And what? they're just <laughs> making props for stuff. I really don't ask much about it. But uh, I, I don't think I'll ever see it again. Wow. So I could expect you to be arrested uh, and linked to some kind of 3D print related crime anytime in the future. Cause you've I just... don't know about expect it. But if, if it happens, you wouldn't be surprised. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's it. I mean, I, I really do dig the compact. This is not just small pickup truck. This is compact pickup truck. Works super well for me. As you recall, I drove a Maverick in recent history. I mean, our, the Maverick in recent history, the Ridgeline in recent history, and the Tundra. And of those three, I really could not I could not mesh with the full-size pickup truck. Um, it really didn't do it didn't do itself any favors with, with my use case applications. And I found the Maverick to be the easiest one to just do stuff in it's small it's approachable it's affordable i never felt like um it was complicated in any way or form and it just it was great i i really had no issues with it i'm t- firmly in small truck camp like i love it so um you have anything else that you want to say about the uh the tremor Sammy? no but i think we we you know i'm curious to see if other people are going to get in small truck world or, or if we're just gonna be stuck with the Maverick and the, I guess the Santa Cruz. I like how you say stuck with. Like you're so excited about this vehicle, but now you're like, you know what? It would, you know, it would be better if there was something else. <laughs> well, I guess you're right. Why, why would, why would be, why would it be considered stuck with the Maverick? It's, it's, it's only you're stuck with if you want more power, a better interior, um, or, or, or more all-wheel drive hybrids. <laughs> yeah, all-wheel drive hybrids. Um, so that's what we'd be waiting for with another, another automaker entering the field. Okay, well, I mean, if anyone out there has an opinion of, like, if there was a car company right now that could make a pickup truck, a small compact pickup truck, which one would you want that to be, like, to make a Maverick competitor? You can hit us up with your suggestions. You can find us uh, in a bunch of different places. I'm hesitant to recommend X slash Twitter. But if you are there still, you can find Sammy at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram, on Instagram, sorry, at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or you can go over to UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com. We have a contact form that you can fill out, and you click submit, and it hits right into our inboxes. Um, additionally, while you're over at our website, you can subscribe to the podcast um, using a variety of buttons on the top of the of the page. Or you can subscribe to us the old-fashioned way by – is it the old-fashioned way? By just using your your podcast, uh, your podcatcher and searching for us there and hitting the subscribe button there. If you want to, I'm not saying you have to. I mean it's a free podcast after all. So, But you should give a little review uh, or a little blurb, let people uh, hear about the podcast, something like that. It would make us feel a little bit better about what we do um, and it will give us some uh, some ideas on how to make the podcast better. Um, or if we're actually doing um, the right thing. Sammy, speaking of the right thing, what are you going to be driving next week? I've got a Ford Escape plug-in hybrid um, that I'm very eager to talk to you about because they refreshed it and they didn't, I don't think they told a lot of people that they refreshed it. It's like a secret, a, a, a secret refresh. Ooh, double secret probation refresh. I yeah. am driving another vehicle that not a lot of people know exists. It's the Toyota Sequoia. And, um, 
I can tell you, Sammy, I think there's some parts of this that Toyota should have left a secret. <laughs> okay, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to hear you uh, talk about that next week. So, guys, subscribe. Listen to us next week as soon as this is available. I think we make episodes available on Sundays. Isn't that right? That's usually the day, yes. Except for the few times that we do it on Monday or Or Saturday. I mess up and I schedule it for Saturday, which <laughs> yeah, happens whatever. as well. Surprise! Okay, so I can't wait to hear from you next week on Sunday when we when we talk about the Sequoia and the Escape PHEV. Bye, everybody. See ya.